Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, and welcome to Newsweek's Parting Shot, your dose of everything pop culture. I'm H. Allen Scott. On today's episode, I'll be chatting with Emmy and Tony-winning and Oscar-nominated actor John Lithgow about his new FX show, The Old Man. We chat about working with Jeff Bridges, how Lithgow is quite literally one of the most versatile actors ever, and about my favorite film of all time. I was so excited to talk about this, Terms of Endearment. So go on, grab a snack, because I'll be right back. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. You never really know what you're going to get with a John Lithgow movie or TV show. He could be funny like on Third Rock from the Sun, or evil like on Dexter, or offer a new take on a historical figure that we thought we all knew like he did with Winston Churchill on The Crown. He's just that versatile of an actor. And guess what? He surprises us again with the FX show The Old Man alongside Jeff Bridges. Lithgow plays FBI Assistant Director of Counterintelligence Harold Harper, who is tasked with taking down former CIA operative Dan Chase, who is played by Jeff Bridges. The two have this complicated past that makes for a dynamic between the two of them that is just show it's just so good this show will get you it really is it's it's a thriller that made me stay up way past my bedtime watching it you have to watch it we also chatted about something that is very important to me my favorite film of all time terms of endearment which lithgow got an oscar nomination for for only working five days he literally worked five days on a movie and got an oscar nomination that's a pretty good gig But first, we chat about The Old Man, available now on FX and streaming on Hulu. You have no idea how different the game is. I imagined you were dead. No, just retired. I want to understand how your world works. You have no idea what I did, who I was. I've got 10,000 agents and a $10 billion budget. What have you got? 
You're about to drive this to a place you're not gonna like when we get there. I love a good sort of like nail biter thriller. It's just one of those shows that like you watch and you you don't. I will admit, going into it, I was like, "Am I gonna like this?" And then as soon as I started watching it, I was like, "Oh, I'm gonna like this. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna." Good. Yeah, I felt like that with the Fugitive too. I wasn't sure I was gonna like it, but then I started watching, and I was like, "I like this." So it's it's one of those. Yeah. And yep. what like when you read the script, what did you first respond to? Well, I had I had already had a very warm and enthusiastic response to the idea of acting with Jeff. Mm-hmm. Whom I've always I've always loved him as an actor and didn't I'd only barely met him once I never worked with him so I was inclined to like the script uh, and you know somewhere around the tenth or twelfth page my character was introduced in the most extraordinary way it's like oh my god this character whatever happens to him he's going to be a fascinating character because. He, he's an FBI guy, so he is by definition a kind of low-profile professional. Yeah. And yet he is going to carry so much emotional baggage through the events of this series. Uh, you know, the, the greatest tragedy in his entire life has just befallen him. And the phone rings and he's off on, a, uh, on an an uh, adventure of international intrigue. So, you know, it, that had a lot going for it. And and I absolutely loved the end of the first episode, that long phone conversation mm-hmm. between these two guys who clearly had a very intense relationship uh, that's only really sketched in. It's it, it, You don't know much about it, but you know that they were good friends, mm-hmm close partners, professional partners, and something awful happened that completely separated them. All those things set an extraordinary story in motion. Mm -hmm. So, and that's all I read. I could only read the first script. It was the only one that was complete. Yeah. So it, it, it got me fascinated. And the next step was sitting and having lunch with the man who'd written it, John, Jonathan Steinberg. Mm -hmm. So pretty good sales job. Yeah. 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 It does. Watching it and watching you and Jeff Bridges together, it's it, what what's amazing about both of you as actors is that you say so much without saying much at all. You know what I mean? Yeah, even in that phone scene that you're talking, you're talking about that in watching it, I'm, 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 I felt like I was watching this, this sort of like British spy movie thing where like the, the, they're, they're talking to each other and you know, there's something deep happening between these two characters, but you don't know what you you want to know more. You need to know yeah. more. That's what hooks exactly. you. You know exactly. And it's, yeah. it's it's your character. What you do so well, I think, is that I never know if you're good or bad. <laughs> you know Neither what I mean? Do I. That's right. <laughs> In like, life, I don't know whether I'm good or bad. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, do you? Are you like? Is it appealing to you to play characters that that maybe are sort of questionable in character? Yes, that's a wonderful question. Uh, I, and I've thought a lot about that very issue. My good friend, uh, Bonnie Turner, she and her wife, uh, her husband, uh, Terry, created Third Rock from the Sun, and they're very good friends of mine. She once talked to me about what is particular about me as an actor. 
She said something like what you just said. You look at my face and you don't know which way it's going to go. <laughs> oh, what's going to happen? And that's what that's what makes me very funny in comedy and very scary in adventure and can even make me very I can even touch your emotions. You just don't know what's going to happen. Uh, I say that in all objectivity. I, Bonnie may or may not be right, but sounds interesting to me. Uh, <laughs> I am I am fascinated by characters who have two or three sides to them. Mm-hmm. Of course, ultimate was Raising Cain, where I played a split split personality who is four different characters. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Plus their father, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, it, it is, it, it is fascinating to me. One, one thing that fascinates me about Harold Harper is you don't, you do not know whether he's the good guy or the bad guy Yeah, because he's in a business where you have to do bad things for good reasons and good things for bad reasons. Uh, that's like the, that's like the mortar that, that holds together this entire series. Mm-hmm. And it, it's true of Jeff's character too. Yeah. yeah. The, in, the inciting incident from 30 years ago was when he broke all the rules, he did a really bad thing, but he did them for the right reasons. Yeah. And there's also this, I mean, with both of your characters, I think, and I mean, I, I think about this with my own father sometimes too, that, you know, I, th- I see him thinking about something or I see how he reacts to things. And I know that he's kind of carrying the weight of a lifetime. And, and his, his responses are sometimes a response from something that like potentially was traumatic to him when he was a 30 year old, but I was just a kid. I had no idea. And it's the weight of sort of the history of these two men really weighs on how they interact with each other and how they respond to other people who have no idea of each other's histories. Do you think that I don't know, there's something about sort of a, a more mature character that allows you to go into, I think, a different depth, don't you think? I absolutely think so. And I also think that's what makes the series unusual and original. Uh, there aren't many dramas that that are built around an old man. Yeah. And I can't think of any really that are built around the relationship of two old men and a very complicated relationship that connects to their youth yeah, uh, and their long, long history. Uh, as a matter of fact, Jeff and I, someday you will see the final episode of this first season. And I hope you do. I hope you last that long. It, when Jeff and I finally got to work together, I mean, this has been a crazy job. Yeah. It's two years ago, and we only worked together in February wow. you know, because wow. it shut down for such a long period of time. And our two, two parallel storylines didn't converge until the very end. Mm-hmm. So finally got to work together. Bridges, yeah. the whole reason I did the series, I finally got to act with him. And it was worth waiting for. It was wonderful. And we shot this enormous scene that is the the majority of the final episode of the season. It's like a 20 minute long scene. And it all takes place in a car on a long, long drive across the desert. It took us six days to shoot it. Those were the six days when Jeff and I 
became great, great friends. <laughs> we just had a, a wonderful time doing this. I remember, I mean, just speaking to your versatility, I remember, so I first came in sort of encountered your work with my favorite film of all time, Terms of Endearment. I was a little kid uh, I was obsessed yeah. with, I saw this movie in the afternoon in my parents' kitchen on TV somewhere, and I became obsessed with it. And then I saw you in Third Rock. And so for me, you were always a sweethearted, funny, dad sort of person to me. And then all of a sudden, I, my brother watches this movie called Cliffhanger, and you are so <laughs> evil. And you are so bad that I was like, who is this person? <laughs> I don't know. Yes, it's sort of wild, the, the, the emotional trip. And so what I love about your versatility is that you can do 30 Rock, do Terms of Endearment, do a show like The Old Man, and every character is so, and you don't get, I, was, I recently interviewed Tom Hanks, and I was talking about sort of the aura of Tom Hanks on every part. And do you ever worry about maybe not being able to play some parts because Tom Hanks is so ever present in, in the role. And he was saying, it's the deal you make with characters. It's the deal you make with the audience. They're, they're gonna believe you in the character or not. And I wanna know if you, did you ever think with all the things you've done and all the characters you've played, that your career would be, be going in the direction that it has gone looking back on your career? Like, are you surprised that you've been able to play so many diverse characters? Well, I'm I'm surprised and delighted when I sort of contemplate. It, it, you know, I've basically forgotten about three quarters of what I've done, <laughs> and I'm reminded of it. I am absolutely astonished. <laughs> I mean, it's it's been so varied, yeah. and it's a source of great pride to me that I've been able to pull that off. Uh, I do think it's helped me with every role I've played. The fact that people are confused. They, 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 their most vivid memories of me are the last thing they saw me do. So they enter into whatever this next thing is with expectations that are inevitably upended, or at least when I'm lucky, they are upended and surprised. Mm -hmm. I did Third Rock in From the Sun following Cliffhanger, Ricochet, and Raising Cane. You know, three dark villains. And all, it was almost the reason I did Third Rock from the Sun to just sort of, I, I felt like I was turning into a latter day Basil Rathbone. It was, it was time to be ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, wasn't my idea. It just happened to show up at a time when I was beginning to think, God, is this all I do? Yeah. Uh, and, and that's happened to me many, many times. Uh, you know, the, the, the most noticeable thing I did on television after Dexter was Winston Churchill. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's like a, it's like a, a, a major league pitcher that has like ten pitches instead of just three. Yeah. And uh, and you know I I do feel I I do think it all came from growing up in a theater family and having the first third of my career being almost entirely theater mm -hmm. and, and, the, and the, and the theater I grew up with was Shakespeare. My father was a, was a Shakespeare festival producer. You really see that in your work. I mean, from, from even just taking these two characters, Winston Churchill, like you just mentioned and, and Harold from uh, the old man in that these are two powerful men. 
I mean, their power, they have so much power in what they do. And yet with Winston Churchill, I'm thinking of the, the episode where he had to admit that he lied to the queen or something about the fog. It was the fog episode, I remember. And the way you turned Winston Churchill into a whimpering little boy in front of his mother. And we've never seen Winston Churchill like that, but he's so powerful. And we've always seen yeah. him so powerful. And yet you made him vulnerable. And it's the same thing with Harold too, I think, where you show the power, but you also show there's something else weighing him down. There's a vulnerability weighing him down, that there's something there. And it's, it's really impressive to watch. Oh, Alan, you're giving me such compliments. Well, uh, okay. <laughs> and, and I, I, no, I, but you know, the thing you're describing is the very thing that I, that fascinates me most is to look for the other side of a character when I'm playing it, to look for that character's insecurities. I, I mean, Churchill is the perfect example. Everybody thinks of him as the man who saved Europe. The lion. Yeah, the lion. But in reading about Churchill, the thing that I found absolutely most valuable was the first 25 years of his life when he had such terrible low self-esteem. He was a neglected child. His father had contempt for him and wrote him off as a failure. He himself ungainly and he had a terrible lisp that he was very self-conscious about. Uh, to me, that so informed his old age because that's when those things kick in once again. And of course, I had a great confederate in Peter Morgan who wrote to all those qualities. Mm -hmm. And you're right. People talked about him as the big baby. You know, yeah. Hitler called the big baby. Yeah. So I went right for his, uh, his, baby. Yeah. Yeah, his baby. Yeah. <laughs> well, the other thing that, that I love about, besides your acting that I think is so funny, what makes you so funny is your, I mean, your writing, but in, in your, your sketches for Trumpty Dumpty. Trump, the Trumpty Dumpty scene oh, is so funny. It is so, what I love, and I mean, and your children's books too, but like, I love that like there's somewhere in the world where a parent is reading one of your children's books to a child who then that child will grow up and watch Dexter someday and be very frightened yeah. by the stories. They have. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I, the opposite. I know. Well, you know, I, I perform for several different constituencies. <laughs> when I was doing press for the Trinity killer, I, I and they would bring up my kids stories. I, I would say, don't tell the children about <laughs> Trinity killer. <laughs> do you ever, do you ever was, with with your writing and your and your sketches and everything that you do, like in terms of, in that part of your creativity, where does that come from? Where where I mean, it reminds me of the Trumpy Dumpty, especially reminds me of sort of the old political cartoons that we desperately need more of. I think nowadays, and we don't have as much of today. And I think it really, it sort of is in that line. What what inspires you to do them? Well, I, uh, first of all, growing up, as I say, I grew up in a theater family, but I did not want to go into the theater. Hmm. I was, from a very young age, I wanted to be an artist. And, you know, I got off, uh, I, I, and I was quite serious about it, but then I went to Harvard. You don't go to Harvard if you want to be an artist. There's absolutely no, no point. Uh, but it's conceivable that you go to Harvard and become an actor because there's a very, very vibrant undergraduate yeah. extracurricular theater culture there. And, and I was an experienced and seasoned actor in spite of myself. And 
Uh, I became a campus star. And if you do that at Harvard, you're, the handwriting is on the wall. You're, you're yeah. going to do that for a living. Um, and, and so I became an actor, but I was always wistful about art. I've always continued to do it, but just as a hobbyist and as a lark. Uh, I do my own Christmas cards every year. I, yeah. I do caricatures of the cast on every opening night and a caricature of the crew at the wrap of movie and and in fact there have been a couple of moments in my life when i've had a studio and i've gotten uh, i've painted again although they are usually fleeting uh i'm not a serious artist i don't i don't even call myself an artist and this is the first time i've ever published my illustrations the dumpty books uh it that's where it comes from it just comes from that old neglected facility Mm-hmm. Uh, enthusiasm I once had. Uh, and it lent itself, one thing led to another with those books. Uh, I, I I had a, a an extraordinary event. I don't know whether you've heard this story. I feel like I've told it a thousand times, but I performed for a public theater gala mm. in the year of 2017. Have you heard the story? I don't think so, no. Well, they were, it was, they were celebrating the public's history with music theater. Mm. Uh, so the gala had numbers from Hamilton and Chorus Line and Fun Home. And, and they asked me to, to sing the Major General's song from Pirates to Penzance because they yeah. had a big of that in the 70s. And I said, yes, but it being the summer of 2017, uh, I said, why don't I sing the Major General's song in the character of Michael T. Flynn. And <laughs> as I am the very model of an ex-Lieutenant General, and I rewrote the third verse yeah. as Michael Flynn. Yeah. Came out on stage, all dressed in a Navy suit with a Michael Flynn makeup. People had no idea what I was doing until I sang the third verse. When President Obama made me head of all things clandestine, he realized he brought to life a governmental Frankenstein, etc. <laughs> Absolutely slayed them. They were so taken by surprise. It was hilarious. And uh, I name-checked, you know, Kislyak and Kushner and just all sorts of people. Yeah. And I sang that to my literary agent when he was bugging me about coming up with a new book. Yeah. I wasn't pitching it to him. I was just trying to think, well, what could I do? And he said, well, there's your book, write political satire in verse. Wow. And that's the beginning of the, of the Dumpty series. And of course, writing the poems, bespoke, right? Doing the illustrations and yeah. voila, three books in a row. Yeah. Three years in three years. Uh, it was just, a, and not to mention the fact that I, I, I had fire in the belly, my contempt for Donald Trump. I was figuring I don't ordinarily go public with my politics. How could I do it? Yeah. Well, I'll do it being entertaining. Yeah, that's the way to do it. If you're going to do it, make it art, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, my last question for you, and, and I intentionally say this, as I mentioned before, terms of endearment means so much to me. And it is, it is one of the, whenever I get on a plane, it's the one movie I have downloaded on my phone to calm me down. Yeah. <laughs> well, I tell you, any any you, an actor is always asked, "What is your favorite thing?" Mm-hmm. 
I wouldn't say it was the, my favorite role I've ever played, but it was definitely the best movie I've ever been in. It's a movie that completely delivers what it's supposed to deliver. It is so real, uh, emotionally authentic, and you just care so much about every character, and it breaks your heart. It absolutely destroys you. It's the only movie you can absolutely count on crying every single time you see yeah. it. Yeah, and it's what and what I think is so interesting about your character in general in it is every single other character around you in the film, or even not around you, Shirley MacLaine's character, everyone, they're kind of despicable in some ways. They're very mean to each other in some ways. Whereas your character is so loving, is so nice, is so, I mean, I quote, well, you must be from New York so often to people. Right. I, but, and, and, but yet at the same time, you're, you're cheating on your wife in the film. Like you're a despicable human, but you're, but you're supposed to be the, the moral sort of nice guy. No. It's so funny. I will tell you some inside baseball. Please. I replaced another actor. Yeah. There's another actor in that role whom uh, James L. Brooks had written the role for. Mm. But they got two scenes and they realized, uh-oh, this is not going to work. Because the audience had to absolutely root for this adulterous relationship. They could not feel badly about her someone yeah. other than Jeff Daniels. Yeah. They feel okay about it. And and uh, they came to me. They, it turns out I would I was the perfect adulterer. <laughs> <laughs> Is it correct that you like you did it in a you shot it in like a day or so? I mean I I remember I, I, I shot it in five days and they were five days borrowed from Herbert Ross from oh. rehearsal period for Footloose. Yeah. We had weeks of rehearsal. And Herbert wouldn't let me out. He he wanted me for rehearsals. Mm -hmm. God, they were both produced by Paramount Pictures. And they leaned on him to spring me for five days. But they had to shoot my whole role in five days. Five days and you got an Oscar nomination. That's not bad. Yeah, right. That's, that's yeah, it's cool. like, like economies of scale. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, John, this has been such a pleasure chatting with you. I, I, I am so grateful. You too, Alan. What a delightful person John Lithgow is. Just a gem of a human. And now I want to go watch Harry and the Hendersons. We didn't talk about it, but now I just have like an itch to watch it. Let me know what you thought of today's episode and if you're as big of a fan of Terms of Endearment as I am, because I really want to talk with somebody about it. You can find me at H. Allen Scott on everything. And thanks for listening to Newsweek's Parting Shot. If you liked today's episode, you should leave a little rating and review because it really, really does help the show. And for more on the latest news and podcast, head to Newsweek.com and follow Newsweek on all the social platforms. Until then, watch something fun and have a great day.